0: Hey, murder lovers. My name's Mackenzie. And this is Fatina, And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: We're losing our minds. So thank you for listening because it keeps us motivated Mm -hmm. on researching crimes and cases. And it gives me a little brain vacation. So thanks. (laughs) <laughs> All right. I am telling you a story you might have heard of already. Oh, okay. But I did some research on it and so much other information surfaced that it added a lot of interesting stuff to this case. So if you've heard it already, then I am sorry, but hang on. There's might be some surprises in it for you. <laughs>
0: Listen, we're gonna duplicate episodes. It is what it is. It is so.
1: Yeah. This is the case of Amy Bishop Anderson and the Alabama shooting.
0: The not bells? ringing any bells. Cool.
1: I like that. She was born April twenty fourth, nineteen sixty five. And some of the sources that I used here include, but are not limited to, the New York Times, Wikipedia. ABC News and Wired.com. Other than Wikipedia, because that's usually a very comprehensive, has the you know, from the moment they popped out till they're mm-hmm. done, uh, the wired.com article was fantastic. So they did a really good job of Doing a very very uh, well researched article on it, so a lot of uh, some of the information I'll let you know where it's coming from at times, but uh, wire.com was was a really really good source. Okay. Amy Bishop grew up in Braintree, Massachusetts. She grew up with well educated parents. Her father was an art professor at Northeastern. This also this is also where she attended school for her undergrad. And it was during this time in 1968, when she was 21 years old, that a terrible incident happened in her household. On the morning of December 6th, 1986, there was an argument at the bishop's home. Judy, her mother, was active in local politics and was well-known around town. And on this morning, uh, she had gone horseback riding and had just gone back into the house Seth, who is Amy's brother, was outside washing his car, and Sam, her father, who was an art and film professor at Northeastern, was heading into the mall before lunch to do some Christmas shopping that day. But before he left, he and Amy got into some kind of dispute, according to police records, and it was over something that Amy had said. We don't know the details. Nonetheless, there was an argument. Okay. Amy went upstairs to her room and would later tell police that she had decided to load her father's shotgun. She wanted to learn how it worked, she said, because there had been a break-in at the house not long before. Sam Bishop had bought the gun a year earlier in Canton, Massachusetts, and he had his son join the local Braintree Rifle Club. He had left the gun unloaded on top of a trunk in his bedroom and in a case, And the ammo was completely in a separate location than the gun, Mm -hmm. as it should be. Amy, while she was, I guess, trying to figure out how this rifle worked, um, or sorry, how this shotgun worked, she accidentally shot into a wall in her room. Okay. And then, according to her mom, she went down to the kitchen where her and Seth were standing by the stove and Amy said, I have a shell in the gun and I don't know how to unload it. And she told, Amy, she told Amy not to point the gun at anybody. Amy turned towards her brother and the gun fired.
0: Oh, Lord.
1: Hitting him in the chest. And then Amy ran out of the house with the shotgun in hand. The shot left Seth with a gaping hole in his chest and ripped right through his aorta and kidneys. So it was just like blew out huge fucking hole as the police officers and emergency medical technicians came and attended to Seth, who was bleeding to death on the floor. Another group of officers went in the search of Amy, who had headed down towards Springtree's commercial district. Tom Pettigrew, who was working on the body shop. In the body shop of a Ford dealership said he and his friend saw a young woman walking around, looking into cars, carrying a shotgun. And in his words, he said, I kind of stepped back and said, hey, what's going on here? What are you doing here? And she said, put your hands up. I put my hands up and repeated the question. What are you doing here? He said that she was distraught and that she was hyper aware of everything that was going on around her. And she just said, I need a car. I just got into a fight with my husband, and he's looking for me, and he's going to kill me. You're not wrong. She shot her brother. Okay. I was like, did I just
0: completely tune out there? No. Okay. So, what? (laughs) Also, she's not married. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's a very weird story to...
1: Very weird story to come up with. Okay. Instead of just either keeping your mouth shut or saying what happened. But minutes later, the police found Amy Bishop still holding the shotgun near a village newspaper distributing agency where workers were busy unloading the papers. And according to Officer Ronald Solemini's report, she appeared frightened, disoriented and confused, but she refused his orders to drop the gun until another officer approached her from the other side. So it wasn't until she felt like she could maybe get overpowered that she Surrounded. that she surrendered, I guess. Okay. Seth was 18 years old at the time of the shooting and was also a student at Northeastern. G- goes without saying, he, he passed away from, yeah. from, the, from the shooting. And the police did come to the scene and they were investigating what had happened. They did make a report and both Amy and her mother were adamant. That the shooting was an accident. It seems that the police took their word and classified Seth's death as an accident. Now here's the interesting part. Police found that when they got there, that the shotgun that was used in that was used to fire at Seth had a life round in the chamber. This would mean that after quote unquote accidentally shooting her brother, Amy would have had to rack the slide of the shotgun back again to release the spent shell casing and to reload the chamber again. Right. Not something you'd think someone who just had an accident would have the frame of mind to do. Right. So, yet the district attorney chose not to file any charges on her. One of the theories of why and how this was swept under the rug is that the bishops had deep political ties and in the community overall, and they were also financial supporters of the district attorney who eventually went on to be a US congressman. So that's it. They they completely dismissed it as an accident. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, after the Alabama University shooting, they because the prosecutors in this new case wanted to go back and see what had happened with that in, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: was there anything done? All the records were gone. Oh, Completely gone. My Atlanta. So, obviously, the bishops had maybe a hand in making that disappear. Okay. She went on to receive her undergrad from Northeastern and eventually went on to marry her husband, James Anderson. They had four children and they moved into a small neighborhood where the neighbors reported that she rarely kept to herself and that she was always yelling at children that were playing outside in the streets. Once, neighbors organized a block party and didn't tell Bishop because of the conflict that she had with other people.
0: Sorry. Oh, God. She sounds like a nightmare.
1: Like a peach. Amy called the police more than a few times to complain about her neighbors because she didn't like the noise of a small boombox on low volume, the sound of bouncing balls... And even the ice cream truck was an issue. Oh, Lord. She would harass the ice cream truck driver and would yell at him repeatedly that he was not to come down the street because her kids were lactose intolerant. And this happens so much that this ice cream truck driver and the other ice cream truck stopped going down the street altogether.
0: The ice cream truck music <laughs> lasts like 10 seconds. I promise anyone can live through it.
1: So she went on to live there for about four years, and something really funny that happened was that she, when she put up her house for sale, so she would put up the for sale sign, all of the neighbors got together, had a meeting, and agreed to keep their lawns immaculate, so that potential home buyers would buy the house asap, so it would be an appealing neighborhood for anyone to come up and sweep up the house. Okay. And on the day that the moving van. Was pulling away, multiple neighbors went out to the curb to see him drive away, and someone yelled, ding-dong, the witch is dead. Oh, my God. (laughs) I wonder if they all cheered. Someone ordered pizza, others brought out their beers, and they had a makeshift block party to celebrate. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing.
0: No social distancing for them. No,
1: they were all about her leaving. And so the reason that she was moving out, it was because she was going to uh, go attend Harvard. And this is where she would eventually get her Ph.D. in genetics in 1993. Okay. So her work... She's she, really smart then. Yes. Okay. Very, very smart woman. And we'll talk about that a little bit more, about maybe how very intellectual people lack some social skills.
0: Well, yeah. Okay. Um,
1: And maybe that played a role here. Okay. So her work in the science field was... She made it out to be more impressive than it actually was. And apparently some neurobiologist who studied or revised her work said that her postdoctoral work at the time was subpar, and that she would likely not be given the chance for tenure at any major universities. Ouch. Yeah. That's a big blow, I'm sure, for someone yeah. who's given their life to, to research. And research and this, yeah. yeah. So, also in 1993, Paul Rosenberg, a Harvard Medical School professor and physician at the Children's Hospital in Boston, received a package containing two pipe bombs, which failed to explode.
0: Oh, okay, Unabomber.
1: Yeah. So Dr. Rosenberg was one of Amy's supervisors at the Children's Hospital in the neurology – neurology (laughs) – maybe I need a neurologist. I mean – A neurology lab. It is alleged that Amy was concerned about receiving a negative evaluation from Dr. Rosenberg, and at some point they had some type of dispute – Amy resigned from her position because Dr. Rosenberg felt that Amy was not meeting their standards and was maybe going to fire her anyway. Okay. Some of the witnesses to this incident say that Amy seemed to be freaking out and it looked like she was on the verge of having a nervous breakdown. After Dr. Rosenberg received the pipe bomb and the investigation was over by the police, they received an anonymous tip. The tipster told the police that Amy said she wanted to shoot, stab, or or strangle Dr. Rosenberg. The validity of the anonymous tip was not able to be verified. The police interviewed Amy and her husband and released them, and when they went back to their house for further questioning, they were not allowed in the house or answered any of their questions. Without a search warrant, they had to leave it at that. Ultimately, no charges were brought on either of them, since there was, not, since there was a significant lack of evidence pointing at anyone. So they couldn't track down how we got there. I do know that it was sent through the postal system because the postal system also had their own investigation, but they didn't have, like, a return address, obviously. So their investigation was...
0: It'd be kind of satisfying to, like, fire somebody based off of, like, their incompetence or whatever and then have them send you a bomb so you could, like, A, be like... Yeah, I was right about you, but B, also, it didn't go off. So, like, that further proved the fact that you were. I was right about you? Yeah. Hella incompetent. Yeah. (laughs) You had one job.
1: Yeah. In 2002, Amy had another run in with the law following an incident at an IHOP. For those of you not in the US, and I don't know if they're global, but it's Pancake House, it's international.
0: Oh. International House of Pancakes, thank you. Not wow. the National House of Pancakes. I stand corrected. It's a Pancake House. Yep. <laughs> okay, so
1: on this particular day, Amy and her family went to the restaurant. They asked for a booster seat, and the family in front of them had been given the last one available in the restaurant. Amy marched over to the Poor lady that had been given the last one available. Oh, Amy. Her name was Michelle, and she demanded that she give up the booster seat. Michelle was like, no, I need it. She refused to give it up. So Amy proceeded to punch Michelle in the back of the head.
0: Oh, my God.
1: All while yelling, I am Dr. Amy Bishop. (laughs) Excuse me.
0: I would have been like, um, hi, 911. Yes, we have Dr. Amy Bishop in here, assaulting customer. Yeah. They absolutely called the police. Oh, I bet. And they gave her the full name. Gave them the full name. Yeah.
1: Like, we know. We don't even have to ask you for your name. First things first. Dr. Amy Bishop. So, of course, the police uh, came over and Amy told the cops that she and she also wanted to tell her friends that Michelle was the aggressor. And that Michelle was neglecting her child and this, that she was just trying to help. That's all. She has friends? Yeah. That, I <laughs> she, <laughs> No, I thought of that too as I was writing it down, but it said she told friends. I think some people just wrote her off like, like this kooky, intellectual, like, lady so that... basically her friends were the people that tolerated her. Probably just co-workers and she's thinking they're friends. They were nice to her. Yeah, probably. So... She also went on to say that she would beat the rap by wearing her white lab coat to court, trumping the woman by looking more professional. So there. So there's that.
0: So there.
1: <laughs> uh, she brings, like, a beaker in as her coffee
0: cup. <laughs> All right. Moving One of on. those, like, models of chromosomes or whatever, <laughs> since she's in <been> genetic <laughs>
1: Alrighty. So ultimately she was charged with a misdemeanor assault and disorderly conduct, which she did plead guilty to and didn't receive any jail time. She just got probation. They also recommended that Amy attend anger management classes, but her husband later confirmed that Amy never went to any. Surprise, surprise. You don't say. This lady could definitely have used it, let me tell you. Amy joined the faculty of Department of Biological Sciences at the University of Alabama in Huntsville as an assistant professor in 2003. She was teaching five different courses. Bishop and her husband competed in a technology competition and developed a portable cell incubator. They came in third and they won $25,000. And Prodigy Biosystems, where James worked, um, raised one and a quarter million dollars to develop the automated cell incubator. The university's president stated that the incubator would change the way biological and medical research is conducted. I won't bore you with the details, but pretty much they were smart as hell, okay? Right. They knew what they were doing, and what this incubator would have done was allow cells to live longer therefore allowing prolonged the amount of time that cells could be researched for before they died in a petri petri dish.
0: Okay, got it. Okay.
1: Besides her being a professor, Amy had written three unpublished novels. One featured a woman scientist working to defeat a a potential pandemic virus, and... A struggle and was struggling with suicidal thoughts and the threat of not earning tenure.
0: A pandemic virus, you say? <laughs> Interesting.
1: The novels reportedly, quote, reveal a deep preoccupation with the concept of deliverance from sin. It was, she thought that this was going to be, quote, her ticket out of academia. She thought that she could be a published novelist. She did have an agent, although they never published any of her books. She was a member of a writing club that would, and people there said that she would always cite or throw her weight around saying that she had a Harvard degree and that she had ties to this other famous writer to boost her credentials as a serious writer. But everyone kind of wrote her off. Another member described Bishop as smart but abrasive with her interactions, and <laughs> <Abrasive>. that <laughs> the other members always felt like she, she felt like she was entitled. Okay, to got it. Several colleagues of Bishop's had expressed concern over her behavior. She was described as interrupting meetings with quote bizarre tangents, kind of out of left field, and quote being strange and notably crazy. One of the colleagues was a member of Bishop's Tenure Review Committee. After Bishop's tenure was denied, she learned that this colleague referred to her as crazy. She filed a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission alleging sex discrimination. She cited the professor's remark to be used as possible evidence in that case. The professor did not retract his comments. The professor was given the opportunity to back off the claim or to say that it was just an offhanded remark, but he didn't. He said, quote, I said she was crazy multiple times and I stand by that. <laughs> That's right. The professor said, this woman has a pattern of erratic behavior. She did things that weren't normal. She was out of touch with reality. <laughs>
0: so somebody was saying
1: it so, people called her crazy and this dude stood by it he's like no she's crazy there's probably no other word to describe her
0: mm-hmm.
1: not only did her colleagues think she was crazy but also her students thought that she was a bad instructor and she was a, unpopular among her students she dismissed several of them from the graduate programs and their labs and others sought transfers out they also started a petition to get her off of those classes and the department and they presented that to the department head. The complaints, however, did not result in any classroom changes. So they kept her on
0: despite obviously people really freaking hating her.
1: Yes. And there were some that really liked her. There were. Yes. I think maybe so. I don't know. Maybe some liked her crazy. In March of 2009, Amy received word back from the Tenure Committee that her bid for tenure had been denied. Usually around being there for six or seven years in tenure, I had to look this up too, meant that they would keep you on staff, they couldn't fire you, but they would calculate how much financial benefit you Mm -hmm. would be to the institution, Moving forward by doing your research papers, bringing in grants to the school by using that school-like header in your research. Okay. She did not expect to have her teaching contract renewed after March of 2010 since this tenure had been denied. Amy had been told several times to stop putting so much emphasis on receiving patents for inventions instead of publishing papers. Because without publishing papers, she wouldn't be eligible for tenure. But she always disregarded that and kind of did her own thing. Mm-hmm. She invented some things and with her husband. And that was kind of her focus instead of doing what she knew she needed to do to get to tenure. Okay. She appealed a decision of the university's administration. And they denied the appeal. And Amy was recommended to start looking for another job. She refused to stand down and took on the attitude that the board had made a mistake and that she will wait them out until they cleared all this up. Oh, boy. Her colleague said that she lobbied for a revote and started badgering co-workers for their support. She was concerned with her family finances moving forward, so, because she didn't get the tenure, that she hired an attorney to help her fight the decision. That attorney... Just kept finding more and more things that weren't going to be helping her case. So she mm-hmm. kind of saw that fading off like there was no fighting chance. Sure. Okay. On the morning of February 12, 2010 at 3 p.m., there was a seemingly routine biology department faculty meeting in room 369 on the third floor of the Shelby Center for Science and Technology at the University of Alabama. There was about 12 or 13 faculty members in attendance. Amy sat there quietly at the meeting for the first 30 or 40 minutes while they discussed budgeting and just other matters that were concerning to the department. Right. Joseph Ng was one of the professors in the room that day, and he is quoted saying that Amy got up suddenly, took out a gun, and started shooting at each of us. She started with one of the closest people to her and went down the row shooting her targets in the head.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Deborah Moriarty was another professor in the room, and she is quoted saying that this wasn't random shooting around the room. This was execution style. Those who were shot were on one side of the oval table used during the meeting, and the five on the other side, including Ng, dropped to the floor. After Bishop had fired several rounds, Moriarty said that Bishop pointed the gun at her and pulled a trigger and just heard click. As her gun either jammed or ran out of ammunition, she described as Amy had initially appeared angry, and then following the apparent weapon malfunction, she seemed more confused. Ng said that Moriarty attempted to stop Bishop, and Moriarty had dived under the table, grabbed a hold of Bishop's leg, and said, Amy, don't do this. Think about my grandson. Think about your daughter. Amy's oldest daughter, Lily, was a student at the University of Alabama. Mm. And she also studied biology with some of the people that were in in this room. So... She said, please snap out of this. This has to stop. And in response, that's when Amy had pointed the gun at Moriarty and pulled the clicker, but just heard the click. Wow. When it didn't fire, Moriarty, who was still on her hands and knees, half rolled, half crawled towards the door and pushed Bishop out the door and locked the door behind her. All she could say was that Amy's eyes seemed very cold and very, very evil-looking. Professor Ng goes to say that Moriarty was probably the one that saved the lives of the other people who hadn't been shot, um, since she's the one that initiated the rush of getting her out of the room. So the victims that she shot, she started with Professor Padilla. He was the chairman of biology, then went to shoot Professor Davis— and she was an associate professor of biology as well. Then, Professor Johnson, professor of biology again, biology department. But right. And then, Luis Cruz Vera, who was another professor, he survived. He's one of the survivors. Um. He was released from the hospital two days afterwards. And Joseph Lee, uh, another professor, released from the hospital. Quite some time later, uh, about two months later on April 14th, unfortunately died of a heart attack later in 2017, but not related to this. Okay. Stephanie Monticciolo, uh was one of the assistants. She was there taking notes that day and she was released from the hospital on March 29th. So she still spent some time in the hospital due to her injuries. Okay. I don't know exactly which one of the three surviving victims, but one of them was not a direct shot. One of them was a ricochet, Okay. but nonetheless, she was... Clearly shooting to kill. Right. Yeah. Amy um, fatally shot at least those three people that she knew of at that point uh, when she had gotten pushed out the room. When she was forced out, she ran to the bathroom on the second floor of the building where she disposed of the 9 millimeter Ruger handgun into a trash can along with her blood spattered plaid jacket. Amy then apparently called her husband and demanded that he come pick her up. ...and told her husband, I'm done. So she proceeded to go outside of the building... ...and was just patiently waiting for her husband. Casual. (laughs) Very. At 4.10 p.m., as ambulance rushed to the scene... ...a Madison County Sheriff's deputy approached Bishop... ...and took a hold of her. She looked dazed as her hands were cuffed... ...and she was put into a squad car. Later, during an interrogation that went on... ...for more than two hours, Bishop would insist... I wasn't there, and it wasn't me. Her assertion seemed ludicrous, of course.
0: Because there's how many witnesses? Like,
1: Twelve people knew that Bishop was there, who saw her almost every day. There was no confusing her with anyone there. Nine of the witnesses were still alive. So we know it's her. Very clearly mm-hmm. there is no, and I'll show you pictures of her. Her haircut is very blunt. Bangs are very blunt. There's no confusing her. She has a very
0: distinct look.
1: Yes. So, although the tenure decisions were not made public, um, the university officials say that Bishop somehow found out which colleagues had voted for her and which ones had voted against her, yet some of the people that she shot were the very people that had supported her in the tenure decision. Hmm. Shortly after Bishop's arrest, people at the university's biology department expressed concern to the police that she had maybe booby-trapped the science building with a herpes bomb.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And she wanted it... it, How would that work? Because she had previously worked with the herpes virus while completing her postdoctoral studies, she wrote a novel describing the spread of a virus similar to herpes through the world, causing pregnant women to miscarry. Like, this is what what she wrote in her novel kind of crazy well the police had already searched the premises finding only the handgun and they didn't find any other booby traps like they thought but just that she instilled that fear yeah of that too that that thought
0: would even cross her mind She's she's crazy.
1: Bishop was charged with capital murder and three counts of attempted murder for the people who did survive, obviously. Okay. But um, the police confiscated her computer, her family van, and a large binder containing documents pertaining to her 10-year battle. Two days after being indicted in Massachusetts, Bishop slashed her wrist with a razor blade. She did survive and was treated at a hospital and then returned to jail in September of 2011. Bishop pleaded not guilty by means of insanity, but a chief prosecutor, Robert Broussard, contacted and learned from the nine survivors that none of them wanted the death sentence for Bishop. They said enough blood had been shed. On the basis of these opinions, the prosecutor decided not to seek the death penalty. Bishop changed her plea to guilty. On September 2012, Bishop was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So there's uh, that. Crazy lady. I will stand by my word. I will call her
0: crazy, too. Yeah, I don't want to call her crazy. She come for you. (laughs) Come at me. Just kidding. (laughs) Cash me outside. How about that? As they were doing the
1: investigation and the prosecution for this university shooting, they were looking further into the past incidents, and why she had never been charged before because technically she even lied on her university's application saying that she had never committed a crime but technically she had never been charged with anything ihop she was given probation and with her brother no charges were ever brought on her so the pipe bomb same thing they were cleared of that
0: It's just, it's so weird to me when there's so many signs that something's very clearly wrong. She was never diagnosed with a psychiatric issue? No. It seems to me pretty obvious we have a psych issue here. And
1: that's why the conversation was started on people lacking social skills, because it seemed like she was ready to fly off the handle at any moment, because Mm -hmm. she didn't know how to interact with people. Right. But it sounds like she was around people all the time. She just... Was it nice?
0: I don't know. No, she definitely was not.
1: I I will say that her husband, there's reports that he's a very meek, mild manner. He was a stay-at-home dad. And he kind of just let her run over him,
0: you know? Mm.
1: And that's why when she made the call of, come get me, I'm done, he was there to oblige. But uh, I will say that he was cleared of... Having any part with the shooting. Although she had gone practice shooting a couple weeks before, unexplicably, seemingly out of nowhere. She borrowed the gun, it wasn't even hers. So don't let people borrow your guns, people.
0: Definitely not. That's a terrible idea. A terrible idea. I can't idea. think of anything worse.
1: Why would you? No. I'd be like, no, we can go to the range together, but I'm not gonna let you take my gun.
0: No, definitely not. Hell that's no. gonna be a that's gonna be a hard no from me.
1: What are you guys doing to keep saying? I started messing with bleach in my hair again. Lord, help me.
0: You're like the meme. There's a meme for that already. Yeah, it was like, no matter how bad it gets, please don't box dye your own hair. I am beyond box dye. I'm I'm three trips to Sally's deep. Oh, okay. (laughs) Ooh, I know. I know what you guys can do. This is a really good idea. You guys, we're going to give you all of our social medias and everything here in just a second. But what I want you all to do is go into whatever platform you want to go into and in the comments or as a post or whatever it may be if you're on facebook do it on the group page not on the regular facebook page or else nobody will be able to see it unless you're doing it in the comments leave your small businesses small businesses that you want to support small businesses that you think deserve the extra business during this time if you want to shout somebody out since we are in lockdown and our small businesses are going to be the ones that are most impacted by that throw them out there for people, put where you're at if you feel comfortable doing so, but otherwise tag people on there so they can see. And let's just like start doing stuff like that. Like anything that you can do.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Online shops. If you know someone that sells stuff mm -hmm. online or anyone who has a brick and mortar that's still open and they can use the business, let's get them, let's get them some business guys because... It, it helps our economy helps everyone's economy so
0: yeah and if you guys want to leave stuff on there then um i'll take the information and i'll start posting it in our instagram stories and putting together posts with all of these people tags so send them to me i will put the stuff together in a master list at some point that's that's your homework Do it now. And you can do that by emailing us at a stranger danger podcast at gmail.com. You can go over to our Instagram and in the comments on this one or any other one or DM us, you can find us on there at a stranger danger podcast.
1: You can find us on Facebook and that is stranger danger colon a true crime podcast. And then you can also go. One step deeper, one step closer towards us. Join the Facebook group, which is Stranger Danger Murder Lovers, because that's what you are. And <laughs> <laughs> you can find us on Twitter and do the tweet things at SD True Crime Pod.
0: That's all we got. That's it for now. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.